Thanks for tuning in to Next Level Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at nextlevelchurch.net. Well, good morning to you. Today we are concluding our series entitled Fixer Upper, Remodeling Your Family. And I want to do a little bit of review to make sure we're all on the same page. Uh, One of the big things that we've been talking about in this series is that we all love the idea of family. And often we like the idea of family more than family itself. We like the idea of getting together with our family. We like the idea of marriage. We like the idea of having kids. But then when you get all the family together, it's like, man, this is hard work. This is difficult. It's not easy to be in relationship with family. And that's why one of the things that I've been trying to point out every single week is that if you want an amazing family, it starts with being brutally honest about what needs to be fixed up. Family is difficult, and ignoring the issues in our family doesn't solve anything. Pretending like our families are perfect does not solve anything. The only way to fix up our families is to be brutally honest and say, we got some issues. Maybe they're minor issues, maybe they're major issues, but in order to fix them up, we've got to be brutally honest about what is in front of us. And our scripture has been helping us learn how to do that. Through our scripture, we've been learning three keys to remodeling the family. And these are three keys that help us be brutally honest and learn how to fix up the issues in our family. And the first key on week one we looked at was wisdom. Wisdom is the first key to remodel your family. And then on week two, we looked at the second key, which was understanding. And in this series, we define wisdom as the art of skillful living. So you have problems in your family. You have some issues in your family. You have some problems that need to be fixed. The answer, the solution is not to ignore those problems. It's to have wisdom. And Jesus tells us that we gain wisdom by listening to what he says and then doing it. That's how you gain wisdom in your life. But the opposite of wisdom is foolishness. And a reason that a lot of us don't fix up our families is because we have some foolishness in our family. And we define fool as someone who knows the difference between right and wrong, but chooses to do what is wrong anyway. So there is some foolishness in our families. There are some things that we know. We know I, I need to stop fussing at my spouse. I need to stop getting angry. I need to stop breaking this, this, uh, this thing that God's told me not to do. I need to stop doing it. But we do it anyway. That's the foolishness. And all of us have some foolishness inside of us. All of us have a sin nature. All of us have some brokenness. And wisdom helps us know how to navigate those foolish areas and to fix, to fix them up. On week two... We talked about the second key to the family, which is understanding. And understanding is so important because a a lot of the issues in our families comes from misunderstanding. A lot of the issues that we have in family come because we have a different personality than our spouse or different personality than our kids. And so when they do something, we interpret it through our own lens and we misunderstand what they were trying to do. And so often we get angry or we fuss at or we shut out people in our family Because of misunderstanding. And so in week two, we talked about how the goal of communication is understanding, not agreement. Whenever there is a disagreement between you and anyone, there is a divide. And the only way to bridge that divide is to show the other person that you understand. Understanding is not agreement. You can understand where someone is coming from and still adamantly disagree with them. Understanding is not saying you are right and I'm going to uh, bow down to your rightness. Understanding is saying, let me, help, let me figure out why do you feel this way? The, what you just said, 
I, I have a hard time understanding that. But help me understand, why did you say that? We ask questions, we draw in, that's how we bridge, bridge that gap. So, now we've been waiting for four weeks for the third key. And the third key is found in our scripture. And at Next Level, we honor the text by standing to our feet, reading it nice and loud. So I want to invite you to stand to your feet, read with me, Proverbs 24, 3 through 4. And uh, something fun that we do here is uh, you'll see two dots between the 24 and the 3 through 4. We like to have fun and just pump our fists at those dots. We just say dot, dot. I want to invite you to do the dot, dot with us. And I will say, it is, uh, I really do enjoy it when you share stories with me about when you're reading the Bible with other people in other groups and you just automatically do the dot, dot. It really does bless me. And I hear those stories often. So if you'll read it with me nice and loud, it says, By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Proverbs 24, dot, dot. Three through four. Now that we've read the text, let's go to God in prayer. Will you pray with me? And I want to give you a, a moment just to talk to God. I don't know what you're bringing into this room. I don't know what distractions you're bringing with you, what hurts, um, what, what successes you're bringing with you. But I just want to ask that you would just be quiet before the Lord and speak quietly in your heart to him. And a prayer that I pray often is, God, would you speak to my heart? And would you give me the courage to do whatever you tell me to do? Would you spend a few seconds just quietly talking to God? in your heart. And God, that's our prayer. We ask that you would speak to us. Um, We desperately need to hear from you. Help us to know we're not alone, that we're not struggling on this earth alone, but that you are present, that you're alive, that you hear us, and that, God, you want to speak and direct us. And so we ask that you would help us to hear from you. And we ask that you'd give us the courage to do whatever you tell us to do. And, God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, you are my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. So our theme verse, which we've been covering for all these weeks, is Proverbs 24, 3 through 4. And if you've been paying attention, the third key has been in front of you this whole entire time. Because the three keys that we're getting are from our scripture. So the scripture says, by wisdom a house is built. That's the first key, wisdom. Through understanding it is established. That's the second key. The third key is through knowledge. Its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. So the three keys are modeling our family. Number one is wisdom. Number two is understanding. And the third key is knowledge. All of us as humans want to be seen and we all want to be known. If you break down the word knowledge, the word know is in that word. We want people to knowledge us, acknowledge us. We want people to know who we are. It is why little kids from a very early age will say the phrase, watch me. Mommy, watch me. Daddy, watch me. I remember taking my kids to the pool when they were like two and three years old. And everything they did in the pool, they would say, Daddy, watch me. And they would jump off the diving board and do the same jump over and over again and say, Daddy, watch me. And if I were to take my eyes off of them and like put my eyes on my phone, they would say, Daddy, Daddy, watch me. And I'm like, I've been watching you for an hour. At least add a cannonball to your repertoire of jumps. You've been jumping the same thing. Nothing has changed. But what they are ultimately saying 
is they want to know that their parents acknowledge them. They want to know, am I important? Am I important to you? Do you see what I'm doing? Do you see what I'm, I'm trying something? And I just want you to acknowledge that I exist, that I matter. Watch me. Every human has an intrinsic desire to be known. Every human does. Every human wants to be seen. Every human wants to know, do I matter? Does what I do, does it make a difference? And when it comes to our families, we desperately want our families to know us. And so often, the issues in our families come because we assume that our families know us, but they act like they don't know us. So often, we just assume, well, you shouldn't have done that because you know me. You shouldn't have said that to me because you know me. If you really knew me, you wouldn't have acted that way. On week one, uh, I introduced this idea of the, the wish dream. It's from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he really applies it to, to Christians and to the church. But the wish dream is an unrealistic expectation of how life should be. The wish dream is an unrealistic expectation of how life should be. And we all have these wish dreams. So often the wish dreams gets in the way of us actually knowing our family. The wish dream gets in the way of us actually knowing our church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, applies this to Christianity, and he says that often the problem in in church circles is that people have a wish dream. They have an expectation of what they think the church should be, and when the church doesn't meet that expectation, they get hurt and upset, and they criticize the church. And the same thing happens in our families. In our families, we have a wish dream. We have this idea of what we think a spouse should be. We have this idea of what we think kids should be. We have an idea of what we think family should be. And oftentimes in the family, the wish dream destroys and it hurts what is actually going on in our family. We all have expectations. This wish dream, it comes from these expectations that we have. And psychologists actually give us a little insight to where some of these expectations come from. Some of our expectations for family come from the family that we were raised in. Um, If you were raised in a family that had a mom and dad both in in the household, psychologists tell us that as a little girl, you watched the way that your dad did things. And that there's a little file in your brain that you just would file away the way your dad would do things. And you don't intentionally do this. No one tells you to do this. You just start developing these little expectations. And there's this thought that one day when I marry a man, he's going to do things like my dad. And psychologists tell us that if you're a a boy and you're raised in the house with your mom, that you're filing away little things in your mind, little expectations that you watch your mom do certain things. And you just start to say, one day when I get married, my wife is going to do things like my mom. Now, there's some exceptions to this. Um, Not everyone grows up in a two-family household. And some of us grew up in households with broken families or with toxic parents. And so maybe you got your expectations from someone else other than your parents. Maybe you got your expectations from friends' parents, or maybe you got your expectations from television shows or movies or other things. But the point is, is that all of us develop these expectations. And they're so ingrained in us that when someone breaks our expectation, we get upset with them. We just think, why would you do that? You'd have to be an idiot to not know that that, that's what you're supposed to do. So it's kind of like like this. This is a a fictional story, but has a lot of, of truth to it. Just imagine... That it is a Saturday, and the following happens to a young married couple. They've been married less than a year. And it's a Saturday in July, and it is extra hot out. You know how Virginia gets in July. The husband is outside 
mowing the grass. And he has his shirt off because it's hot outside. And his wife looks out the window and she sees her husband mowing the grass. And she thinks, mm, he looks good. Look at all that sweat. Mm, he is working hard. The husband comes in after mowing the grass. And when he walks in, his wife greets him and says, baby, you've been working so hard. I am so proud of you. I, I just love the way that you sacrificed your time to mow the grass and make sure it looks good. And he's like, oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. And then she says to her young husband, baby, can I make you a sandwich? And he's like, you're the best wife ever. Yes, you can make me a sandwich. This is amazing. I would love to have a sandwich. So she goes into the kitchen and she starts slaving away over a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. She is making this sandwich with as much love as she possibly can. But there's something that this wife did not know. What she did not know is that her new husband grew up in a household where his mom always cut the crust off of all of his peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. He did not know that a peanut butter and jelly sandwich could have crust on it. He'd never seen it. He's never experienced it. So the wife slaves over this sandwich and she, he's sitting at the kitchen table and he puts the sandwich in front of her. And his very first response is, well, why is there crust on my sandwich? To which she hears, you don't like my cooking. And he's like, no, 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 I love your cooking. Your cooking's amazing. It's just that my mom, and as soon as he says mom, she says, oh, I can't do anything like your mom. Your mom does everything perfect. You're always comparing me to your mom. And he's like, no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This this is the best sandwich I've ever had. I love the crust. And he's trying to make it work. And all of a sudden, they are fighting over crust. But crust is not the issue. The issue is some expectations. And this whole scenario, as fictitious as it is, happens in our families on a regular basis. That we have expectations. There are certain things that we just expect to happen. And when someone doesn't meet those expectations, we criticize, we question, we complain. It is reasonable to have realistic expectations. You should have expectations that your family will treat you with respect. You should have expectations that your your family will be honest and, and will be kind to you. You should have realistic expectations. But so often... The problem in our families is that we have wish dream expectations. We have unrealistic expectations that we put on our family. Unrealistic expectations, the definition for you, is a failure to see things as they really are. Unrealistic expectations is a failure to see things as they really are. Instead of seeing things how they really are and reacting to them appropriately... Unrealistic expectations get in the way of our reality. So that something happens, and instead of seeing it how it really is, instead of seeing it, instead of the husband seeing that his wife slaved over the sandwich and seeing it as it really is, all he could see was that there was crust on his sandwich. And all she could hear was that he was comparing her to his mom. But that's not what was going on at all. It was unrealistic expectations getting in the way of the situation. If you're taking notes, which I encourage you to do, or at least take a picture of it, I want to give you a list of some common unrealistic expectations that happen in our lives. Unrealistic expectations. Things like uh, life is fair. That's an unrealistic expectation. I have adopted in my family something that our discipleship pastor, Eric Ashley, said to his kids when they were growing up. And when kids would say, that's not fair, he would reply, that's not fair is not one of our family core values. 
And I say that to my kids all the time. I hear you say that's not fair, but that's not one of our core values. We haven't adopted that's not fair. Um, that's not fair. If you hold on to that idea of that's not fair, it is an unrealistic expectation because life is not fair. And not everyone can be fair. And the truth is, is you don't want fairness, right? You don't want fairness. Because when you get an extra blessing, you're not thinking right away, well, that's not fair that I've been blessed. Let me share this blessing with everyone else. You're thankful for the blessing. The only time we care about that's not fair is when someone gets something that we want and we don't have. And then we say that's not fair. That's not fair is unhealthy and it's unrealistic. And you need to get it out of your, your, your repertoire, out of your, your, your uh, vocabulary. Here's another one. There is only one way to do things. That is an unrealistic expectation. There is only one way to do things. So many of our issues in our family come because we are control freaks. And we think there is only one way to do it. There is a right way to load the dishwasher. But the truth is, at the end of the day, what do you want done? You want the dishes done. So it doesn't matter if they're loaded from the front to the back or the back to the front. The point is that they got done. But can we just be honest with ourselves that so many of our issues come because we want things done our way. And when someone does it differently than us, we get frustrated and upset. We don't see the big picture. It is unrealistic to think there is only one way to do something. There can be a thousand different ways to do something. What you want to focus on is the results. Did the results happen? Did it get done? Did the chores get done? I don't care how you did it. I don't care if it's different than me. Did it get done? If it got done, let's celebrate that and let's not fight over our differences. Here's another unrealistic expectation. Opportunities will just fall into my lap. Opportunities will just fall into my lap. I hear this one often in Christian circles. I deal a lot with Christians, a lot of faith-based people. And there's this idea that if, if I do nothing but I just believe that God's just going to heap these things into my life. And I do think that God blesses us. I, I, I really do think that God gives us blessing. But can I tell you that you also play a part in that. And if you're single and you're ready to mingle, don't just sit around by yourself and hope that God delivers you a spouse on your porch with a bow on their head. You've got to put yourself out there. You've got to. You've got to, you've got to do some things. God can meet you where you're at, but don't just expect God to hand deliver to you miracles. Opportunities will just fall into my lap. I deserve success. I deserve to have a better job. Okay, if you think you deserve to have a better job, go out and get you a better job. But don't just expect God to hand deliver you something better. You've got to be willing. You've got to be willing to do your, your part. Here's another one. Everyone will like me. That's an unrealistic expectation. Uh, I am a recovering people pleaser. And with that comes this thought of like, I don't understand why people don't like me because I'm trying to please them. I'm trying to be nice. I feel like I'm a kind person. I feel like I like myself. I like to be around myself. So I just assume other people are going to like to be around me. And when someone doesn't like me, my thought is, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you so broken that you don't like me? But the truth is, is it gets us into a lot of issues because not everyone is going to like us. And it's unrealistic to expect that everyone's going to get along with us, that everyone's going to agree with us, that everyone is. The truth is, is you can be the kindest person in the world and someone will still not like you. 
In fact, uh, my first book is titled, Even If You Were Perfect, Someone Would Crucify You. And it's based off the idea that Jesus was perfect, and yet people were really angry with him. They were so angry that they hung him on a cross. So everyone will like me. That's an unrealistic expectation. Here's another one. People should always agree with me. Now, when you say that out loud, I think everyone knows how unrealistic it is. But I want you to pay attention to how frustrated you get when someone actually disagrees with you. Because we know that it's not realistic for everyone to agree with us. But when someone disagrees, we get angry. And we don't give them the right to disagree with us. We fuss at them or we, or, 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 or we yell at them or we tell them how wrong they are to disagree with us. But people aren't always going to agree with you. And this is where week two really comes into play. When someone disagrees with you, you need to give them understanding. Ask them why. Ask them questions. Help bridge the gap. Because as soon as someone disagrees with you, you're going to want to put a target on their head and say they're the enemy. But they're not the enemy if they're in your family. They just disagreed with you. Here's another one. You should just know what I'm trying to say. You should just know. You've been married to me for 20-some years. You should just know. You should just understand my point. But people can't read our minds. They don't know. It is unrealistic to expect people to know what you are trying to say. It is up to you to figure out a way to communicate with them in a way that they can actually hear you and understand. Here's another one. Blank will make me happy. Blank will make me happy. So often in our lives, we are not happy. And the reason we're not happy is because we are waiting for something else to make us happy. And we keep thinking to ourselves, well, if I get that job then I will be happy. If I'm single and I want to be married, once I get married, then I'll be happy. And I'm married and I'm not happy, then I think, well, once we have kids, then I'll be happy. And we are constantly chasing happiness. But for Christians, our happiness comes not from our circumstances, but from our Savior. The happiness comes from knowing who you are in Jesus and in understanding that Jesus has saved you and he died for you. And our happiness is not built on something that we're going to grab one day in the future. Our happiness is finding happiness and joy in who Jesus is. Because the truth is, if you're chasing happiness, you're never going to find it because it's a moving target. Here's another one. Last one. I can change him or her. I can change him or her. That is so unrealistic. There's there's an old saying that... uh, it's said in, for, for weddings, and I don't know if there's any truth to it or not, but I grew up hearing it in church circles, and the saying goes that when a bride is walking down the aisle and her groom is up at the front of the aisle waiting for the bride to walk down, that the groom is thinking to himself, I hope she never changes. Who she is right now is how I picture her for the rest of my life. And the bride, as she's walking down the aisle, she's looking at her future husband and she's thinking, I can't wait to change everything about him. (laughs) Both of these things are unrealistic expectations. Because from the husband's side, your wife is going to change. She is. Like, women are complex creatures. They don't stay the same. They have lots of interests and lots of thoughts. Can I just tell you, though, the opposite is not true. The guy that you're married to is probably going to be the same guy for the rest of your life. Guys are simple creatures. We don't evolve a lot. We don't change. And so if you're marrying a guy for a project, if you think, I can't wait to fix him, good luck. It ain't going to happen. 
I can change him or her. The truth is you can't. You can't change anyone. And can I just put a little perspective for you? If you really could change someone else, it would mean that it was easy to change yourself. And can we just be honest, brutally honest? It's really hard to change ourselves. Like, we think we can change someone else, but, like, we all have issues that we've been dealing with for a long time that we haven't been able to fix. It's really hard to change me. So if I can't change me, why would I assume that I can change anyone else? You can't. You cannot change other people. You can influence people. You can pray for people. You can give grace to people. But you cannot change them. So you have to work really, really hard at killing these unrealistic expectations. Because they come into our families and they wreak havoc. Let's look at our, our verse again. Proverbs 24, 3 through 4. By wisdom a house is built. And through understanding it is established. But look at the last part of the verse. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Did you know... Your family is not perfect, but your family is a rare and beautiful treasure. And so often we get into issues because we compare our families with other families. But if every family was alike, it wouldn't be a rare and beautiful treasure. What makes your family rare and beautiful is that it's different from other families. And so often what we miss about the family, about the people in our lives, is we're comparing them to other people or we're comparing them to who we think they should be or who we hope they will be. And so often in our lives, we miss rare and beautiful treasures that are literally sitting in front of us because we have unrealistic expectations. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to to write this down because I think it applies greatly to unrealistic expectations. Don't try to take out of people what God put in them and never try to put in them what God left out. Don't try to take out of people what God put in them and never try to put in them what God left out. Let me unpack this phrase just for a second. This phrase does not apply to bad habits or sin. It does not apply to sin. So when I say don't try to take out of people what God put in them, your response should not be like, for example, let's say it's easy for you to tell lies and you just lie all the time and someone catches you in a lie. You should not say, well, that's just how God made me. I'm just a liar. You need to accept it. If you have anger issues and it's causing problems in your relationships, when you lose your cool, you should not say, this is just how God made me. That's just who I am. You just should accept it. That's not what this phrase is talking about. When it comes to sin issues or problems in our relationships, we need God to fix those areas. We need God to redeem those areas. Our unrealistic expectations come Not because of sin, but because of expectations that we put on people that they can never achieve. This isn't talking about sin, it's talking about skill set. That there are certain skills and certain talents that the people in your family have, and when they don't meet your expectations, you get angry at them, and you fuss at them. But maybe the problem is not that they are evil, maybe the problem is they're just different than you. And at one point you liked that difference, but the longer you're with them, the more that difference gets on your nerves. And there are people in your family, there are people, whether it's your kids or your parents or your spouse, there are people, maybe it's your siblings, there are people in your family that are different than you and they get on your nerves because they are different, but that difference is not evil. It's not sin. It's a different way of looking at the world. And so often in our lives, so often in our lives, 
we get mad at or we judge people simply because they have different skills than us. And what the scripture is telling us to do is that we've got to stop putting expectations on the people close to us that are unrealistic. And we've got to learn who our family really is. We've got to know them for who they are. An unrealistic expectation often for parents happens with kids because we want our kids to be something that they're not created to be. We want them to be some great athlete, but God didn't put that in them. We want them to be just like us, but God didn't put that in them. So often with parents uh, or with, with couples, there's unrealistic expectations that we put on our spouse that we're expecting them to be something that God just left out of them. Like, um, for example, um, God did not put in me at all the ability to fix things. He just, he left it out completely. And a lot of people in my life don't understand this, especially guys. There's this like stigma that if you're a man, you've got to be good at fixing things. And oftentimes men will come around me and, 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 and I'll ask them for their help. And they'll say, well, this is easy. You just watch a YouTube video and you can fix it. Rob, you can do this. And I'm like, every time they say that, I say, hey, listen, if this is easy, here's what I want you to do. I want you to preach a sermon this Sunday. It's easy. You can watch a YouTube video. And every time they say, no, 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 I could never preach a sermon. Just like you can't preach a sermon and it's easy for me, I can't fix things. And that doesn't mean that I'm evil or wrong. It means that God left it out of me because I need other people. But so often we criticize and complain to people who are wired differently than us. But God left some things out of them because they need you. And God left some things out of you because you need other people. And the problem is, is we often compete with those that are different than us. My, my household growing up, um, we did not fix anything. My parents didn't fix anything. They called for help. Whenever you needed someone, you called and you got it, you got it fixed. And a lot of times, because we lived on military base, um, things came like you just call someone and they would fix it. You didn't even have to have the responsibility because it was base housing. It wasn't even your, your house that you lived in. And so I grew up in a household where I, it wasn't modeled to fix things, and my parents didn't really enjoy it. And so when I got married, what I learned pretty quickly is that my wife grew up in a very different household. In her household, her dad fixed everything, and to this day, he fixes everything. I remember a couple years ago at Christmas time, we went over to their house, and when we pulled up to her parents' house, her dad was on the roof, and he was tied to the chimney with a jump rope. He's in his 70s. And I said, hey, what's going on? Like, I, I, I didn't know. Like, is he going to pretend to be Santa? Like, I didn't know what he was doing up there. And he's like, he, he said, I wanted to start a fire. And I noticed that something was broken at the top of our chimney. So I'm up here fixing it so I can fix a fire. Can I just tell you that never in the history of my life will you find me on the roof of my house? It's not going to happen. That's not how I'm wired. But our first year of marriage, uh, something broke in our house. And at this point, I don't even remember what it was. But I remember very clearly, my wife came to me and said, hey, this thing broke. I need you to fix it. And my response was like, you fix it. I don't know how to fix it. Why are you coming to me? Like, I, I don't fix things. That's not what I do. And if my wife puts the expectation on me to be her dad, she is always going to be disappointed because I'm not her dad. And I don't fix things. And a phrase that we say often in our family is that I'm good at other things. <laughs> like, I'm not good at that, but that's okay. I'm good at other things. God intentionally left some things out of each of us 
so that we would need other people. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. Expecting more from others than they can realistically provide results in anger and becoming resentful. Expecting more from others than they can realistically provide results in anger and becoming resentful. God has given you specific gifts and talents. And he's given those to you because you compliment someone else that he did not give those same gifts and talents to. And someone else, God has given the things that you're missing, he's given it to someone else. And you don't see those things because they're different than you. Not everyone is good at money. Literally. Not everyone is good. There are some people who are just wired to think mathematically and can just naturally think about budgets. Not everyone is wired. So if you are married to someone who is not wired the same way that you are, you don't have to fight about it. You just say, hey, let me take this. This is how God wired me. You, you, you're good at other things. Let me manage this. There are certain skill sets, and when you don't acknowledge them, what you're telling your family is, I don't see you. I don't know you. What I know is an expectation that I want you to become. I want you to be something that is in my mind of what a spouse should be or what kids should be or what family should be. But that's unrealistic. It is unloving to demand your family to meet you where you're at, but refuse to meet them where they are at. It's unloving. It's unloving for, to, for you to expect your family to love you and know you and say, hey, don't judge me. Don't be hard on me. This is just who I am. It is unloving to demand your family to meet you where you're at, but then refuse to meet them where they're at. This is something that takes a lifetime to learn. It is not easy. I've been married to my wife for over 20 years, and it, it wasn't until about year 17 that I learned something about our differences. My, my wife, um, her personality did not come hardwired with empathy. Now, empathy is like a muscle. It's something you can learn. But I didn't have to learn much about it because when God made my personality, he put a lot of empathy in. And so when I'm struggling, I would go to my wife wanting her to give what I naturally would give. And so I would go to her and I, and I would be you know, just upset and all in my feels and emotions and I would be pouring out to her, and my wife would say things like, you just need to get over it. And I'm like, I, I, but I can't. I just need you to hold me and tell me I'm pretty. And for like 17 years out of our 20 years, this was a block for me because I couldn't understand it. Why won't she just give me the empathy that I give? And it wasn't until that I learned about her personality and I learned how she sees things that she wasn't trying to be mean. She wasn't trying not to meet my need. She literally had a different skill set. And my wife has amazing gifts and talents. And when there is a problem that needs to be fixed, she's great at it because she can just get past the emotions and just say, this is what we need to do. But if I'm looking for empathy, she's not the person that I should lean on the most because God left some of that out of her. And can I just tell you that this is, this is not easy stuff to learn. It's not. It's not easy to learn that God has put you with family members that have different skill sets and different talents that are different than yours. It's not easy. But it's so incredibly important. And that's why I want to give you, just real quickly, three resources. These are three books that have helped me better understand and know myself, and at the same time, better understand and know my family. 
Here are three books that have really helped me a lot. Number one is The Five Love Languages, really popular book. This, uh, I'm so thankful I read this before I got married because um, my wife has very different love languages than I do. And I just assume that she would want what I want and what I like, and it, she's wired differently. Um, here's a second book that has been eye-opening, The Road Back to You. It is all about um, Enneagram, and um, this book, more than any other book that I've ever read, helped me understand who my wife is. This is the book that helped me understand that her personality type does not come with a lot of empathy, but it does come with a lot of other great things. And so it helped me really change my expectations because I really, reading this book, I got to know myself better, but I also got to know her. And it was like light bulbs were just going off. And I was like, oh, that's why she does that. And now, okay, I need to appreciate that she does that and not fight against it. Here's one, one other one. Understanding how others misunderstand you. Understanding how others misunderstand you. It's a unique and proven plan for strengthening personal relationships. And so often, we just don't understand. Why don't people get me? Why do I rub people the wrong way? Why don't people understand who I am? All three of these books have done wonders in me learning how to know other people. So let's look at our our, our verse one last time. Proverbs 24, 3 through 4, it says, By wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Can we just admit that family's difficult and it can be hard? But God's given us a way to fix up our family and it comes from wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And when we apply that, what we'll find out is that God has given us some rare and beautiful treasures. And they may not be like other families and they may not be what we were expecting or even what we wanted, but they're rare and they're beautiful and they're right in front of us. So may we be a people that learns to know our families. May we get rid of unrealistic expectations that so often block us from seeing who our family really is. And may we learn to love our family for who they are, accept them for who they are, and give them grace for who they're not. Will you pray with me? God, we just ask in Jesus' name that you would help us to apply this to our lives. We ask that you would Um, Help us not to just move on from this. The family is so important and it's so needed. And God, we just desperately need you to work in our hearts and in our minds. We need you to change us so that we can love our families the way that you have loved us. And we ask that you would just do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine in our hearts and in our minds. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. If you would like to hear more, please visit our website at nextlevelchurch.net. You can also follow us on social media at nextlevel757. Join us next time.